Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Just a uh, quick poll by a show of hands for those of you that were here last week. Uh, how many of you muttered the word idiot under your breath? Anybody else besides me? You'll have to check the, uh, the video from last week to get that if you weren't here. We tend to live life by the principle seeing is believing. That's why when a, a kid doesn't like what they see and they're scared, they, they cover their eyes or close their eyes because in their mind, if they don't see it, it's not there or it's not real. But when you talk about the unseen spiritual dimension, people frequently respond the same way. We just want to pretend like it's not there because if we can't see God and his angels or Satan and his demons, then that probably means they're not real and we're just more comfortable with that. And yet, Peter would remind those who are trying to follow Jesus of this truth. Be self-controlled. Always vigilant. Now, in case you haven't used the word vigilant in a while, it just means be alert, be aware, watch your six, watch your back, pay attention. Your enemy, the devil, is on the prowl, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's one of the reasons why last week I started a series of lessons called Don't Take the Bait. The emphasis last week was on bitterness, when somebody hurts you, when somebody wounds you. When we need that reminder, what am I going to do now? Why I refer to it as bait on a trap? Because that's something that Jesus talked about. In Luke 17, verse 1, he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Jesus knew that there's no way to live life and not have to deal with the offenses that come and the bitterness that comes on the heels of that. Now when he uses this word, offense, the, the Greek word there literally means it's that bait on the trap, kind of like the image behind me. And as soon as an animal touches that bait, you know what happens if you ever tried to set a mouse trap and set it down without jiggling it too hard, right? That's why I wanted to use this particular image about not taking the bait, because it illustrates so, so graphically how Satan works. He sets a trap for the same reason that you do when you see a mouse scamper across your kitchen floor. You want to kill it? or cage it, you just want it gone. Well, Satan does the same type of thing with us when he sets a trap with the bait of bitterness over something that's happened to us in our past. And you'll hear popular phrasing like, well, don't let your past determine your future. But that's exactly what happens with the bait of bitterness. Because of something that somebody did to us, or someone that we loved, or somebody said something to us or about us, we take the bait and either our relationship with God dies or else we're caged by his trap of anger. 
Now, there's certainly a lot of that frustration and anger that happened in 2020, wasn't there? I mean, I, I love this imagery. You know, show the outhouses, let's set them on fire. And that's what 2020 was like, all of its aroma. There were so many unknowns, and the longer it went, the more frustrating it got. And the worst part of all of that is it's starting to feel like we're starting to head down that same path again. What do you do with that, though? Well, that's why what Jesus said about how it's impossible to live without offenses coming your way comes into play. Because avoiding an offense is impossible. But living offended is our choice. It's the result of a long-term frustration, right? That's why it, the bait is called short-fuse short syndrome. Anybody else suffer with that? Where after this last year, you feel like, you, well, you don't even have a fuse left. All you got to do is touch a little fire to that, and it sparks, and you fire up before... And, and you, before you even know what happens, you utter the phrase, idiot, out of your mouth. <laughs> Remember the wisdom, though, from last week, if you were here, of Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And then there's a phrasing of the New Living Translation that looks like this. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Now, I'm not the only one that should squirm with that, so I want you to do like we did last week. I want you to read this with me. You've read it, you've looked at it, you've seen it, you've heard me say it. There's no, there's no trap here. All I want you to do is read it out loud with me. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. I didn't feel any better this week. You know, it still <laughs> bothers me. Because it just shows me how far I am from being there. But today I want to point out the different type of bait that Satan uses. <laughs> Don't take the bait of revenge. It's a trap. We all know the feeling. We know how enticing the idea of Ralphie's revenge is to us from the Christmas story. <laughs> the attraction of that bait is so strong because when we feel wronged, it just feels right to try to get revenge. I mean, sooner or later, you just want to sit on their chest and pound the fire out of them, right? And although we may not want to admit that in church, of all places, that impulse is a natural instinct within us. You know what happens when two toddlers are together and they both want the same toy. It gets loud real quick, doesn't it? And when one of them decides, I said I wanted it, and I'm taking it, and they shove the other one, you know somebody else is going to get shoved back in retaliation. Now, I thought about how quickly that can escalate. And I was going to show you a video 
But unfortunately, that's been scrubbed from the Internet. I know that's a shock that that would ever happen. So instead, I'm going to quote, I'm going to show you a quote from the Wall Street Journal from June 14th, 2008. Then candidate Barack Obama said, and I quote, if they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun. Now that's a great illustration about how our emotions can escalate. But I'm telling you, don't take the bait of revenge. It's a trap. Now, to help you remember this, I've given most of you a, a, a Dixie cup when you came in today. And, and Glory, you've got a, a stack of them. Claudia's got a stack over here. If Now's the time. If you didn't get one, would you just kind of raise your hand there? Because I want you to remember the illustration this morning. I appreciate your help with that, passing that out. You see, our natural inclination of retaliation and revenge drives our desire for the bait on Satan's trap. I mean, it's almost irresistible. Let me illustrate it with this, and then the Dixie Cup will help you remember this. A guy tells about how early in his marriage he used to think that well, you know, part of the fun of being married was that you can enjoy playing with each other. You can enjoy practical jokes with each other. And most of us guys in the audience know now that that seems like a good idea, but it doesn't turn out real well. <laughs> because they quit laughing before we quit joking, okay? Here's what happened to him, though. They would, uh, he thought it would be fun. While his wife's trying to get ready in the shower, he took a, uh, a Dixie cup about like this, let the water in the sink run a little bit till it was nice and cold, and then snuck over to the shower and just kind of poured it over the top onto his wife, who was nice and warm and cozy in the shower at the time. Of course, her response is exactly what you, would thought it, what you thought it would be. You know, she screamed and he giggled like a, you know, little girl and, and everything <laughs> seemed right. The only problem was he needed to take a shower. <laughs> and so she took the bait. She got a mug and filled it with cold water, snuck over to his shower, and poured it over his head while he was taking a shower. And she thought that was hysterical. <laughs> he didn't necessarily think it was that funny, so he went down the next day and got a bowl out of the kitchen. Filled it with cold water, and when he saw her turn her back to the rest of the bathroom, he went over and poured the bowl of water on top of her head. And he thought that was hysterical. Until she decided, enough of this crap. And she got a bucket and filled it with ice water. Hence the beginning of the ice bucket challenge. <laughs> and she threw the ice on top of him while he was in the shower. Well, you know, the heck are you going to do with that? How are you going to top that? 
she was always on guard. Matter of fact, she finally wised up and locked the door when she was taking a shower. He's like, what am I going to do? I can't let her win, you know, because some people are ever, uh, super competitive, right, Sandy? And so, <laughs> not that Rick and Sandy have ever engaged in the cold water shower thing, okay? I just happen to, I've, Jerry, you've played cards with Sandy. You understand these things, right? So then he had this great idea. You know what? She sees me coming and locks the door when she's taking a shower. I'll wait until she's asleep. And he crept up beside the bed and dumped the Dixie cup of cold water on her face while she slept. Just a warning, that did not turn out as he planned because revenge is always a trap. It'll always feel like you're doing the right thing and you couldn't be more wrong. Now, I know some of you well enough to know that you can't wait to get home and fill your little cup. <laughs> if we would have had more time, I was going to have Angie make up a sticker that says revenge with a circle and a slash through it, just to remind you, don't take the bait. Because it never turns out like you thought. You see, here's the problem. It's not wrong to want justice. It's not wrong to want that somebody pays for the wrong that they've done. Somebody ever lied about you? <laughs> Claudia and I were just kind of rehearsing some of the different ones that have been told about me in the past. Someone ever betrayed your confidence? Somebody you thought you could trust? Somebody ever betrayed your marriage vow? Somebody ever defaulted on a loan that they promised they'd pay you back to? You see, sometimes the greatest urge for revenge is, someone, is when someone you love gets hurt. And then Mama Grizzly comes out, right? That's when Dad decides, that's enough of this. we got to put a stop to it. We just want justice. We want to teach them a lesson they won't forget. And that desire for justice isn't bad. As a matter of fact, that comes from God. Because that's one of the ways that God is described. He's described as a just God who will bring justice to every victim. You can read about it in Psalm chapter 9, verse 8, as one location. The Lord will judge the world with justice. And He will rule the nation with righteousness and fairness. That's what we long for. And yet each one of us will stand before God to give an account of how we spend His gift of life to us. So when you feel that cry for justice in your heart, that's a cry of, of God that comes from deep within you. But here's the concept that's really tough for us, though. 
It's right to want justice, but it's wrong to take revenge. It almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? And yet, typically, our thought process goes to something like this. Well, if I don't do something about this, then who else is going to stop this wrong and make things right? And that's when we decide to go all John Wayne on people. That's the typical wisdom that you find in this world. And it's not new. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, was heard to say this observation about life and justice. He says, to take revenge or vengeance on one's enemies is nobler than to come to terms with them. For to retaliate is just, and that which is just is noble. That's a longer way of saying, get him. (laughs) He's got it coming. But Jesus addresses our inclination for revenge in a way that's completely and radically different. It just doesn't even feel right. You know the verse. You can't necessarily quote it, but you'll recognize it, right, from Luke 6? To you who are willing to listen, I say, and maybe that's the phrase that catches the, that the whole thing hinges on. Are you willing to listen to Jesus? Because he says, I want you to love your enemies. Well, good, because I don't want to. Are you willing to listen to Jesus when you don't want to? Do good to those who hate you. But did you see what they did to me? Did you hear what they said about me? Are you willing to listen? Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. You see, what Jesus says pushes us. And that's why we don't want to hear it. That's why we don't want to be reminded of it. Because it pushes us in exactly the opposite direction of what we're naturally inclined to do or say in response. That's why I want to remind you, don't take the bait of revenge. Revenge is a trap. Now that bait may be irresistible. Because everything inside of you says injustice can't go on. Injustice must be punished. And if I don't do it, as you pull up your holsters and prepare to ride off into the sunset like John Wayne, if I don't do it, who will? Who's ever going to make this wrong right if I don't? Rome was the epicenter of the ancient world at that time. Everybody knew the teaching of Aristotle and a guy named Plato. Not the clay stuff. That's something different. Paul writes to the followers of Jesus who grew up in that world of payback. They grew up hearing and believing and seeing it reinforced day after day after day you deserve to get revenge. And to those people, this is what he wrote. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's challenging enough as it is. 
But let me, let me peel back a few of the layers here, okay? So that you can understand exactly what Paul wrote in his original language. He says, do, in, in, when he says, do not conform, that's a passive verb, not an active verb. Now, I don't want to go all English class or Greek class on you, but what it simply means is it's something that you allow to happen to you. It's passive. It's not something that you go out and do. Don't conform. No, you allow that to happen to you. Don't allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this world's standards. You folks that work at Honda know a little bit about molds, don't you? And the rest of you that played with Play-Doh, you know about molds too, don't you? Don't allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this world's schematic. Because that's the word that he uses. Now, you know what a schematic is. It's that outline. It's that drawing that shows you how things work, how things are put together. Now, it's even more intriguing to me that Paul would say to another group of people, we don't want you to be unaware of Satan's schemes. Same word. We don't want you to be unaware of Satan's schematic. He's got the drawing of how you're put together. That's why he knows what buttons to push. That's why he knows what strings to pull. That's why he knows what gets your goat. I'm not sure that there's a schematic for a goat, but maybe God's got one. But he knows you, and he knows how you're put together, and that's why he says, I don't want you to be unaware of Satan's scheme. Don't allow yourself to be conformed to the schematic of this world. Instead, and this is a continuing action thing, continuously allow yourselves, that's that passive thing again, don't stop allowing yourself to be changed within, transformed. Hmm. How do you do that? By letting God give to you a new way of thinking. So it's not like somebody smacking you around and saying, you need to get your head straight, boy. That's not it. It's not your action. This is what you receive. This is the outcome. This is the consequence of that. You, if, you, if you allow God, if you don't allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this world's schematic of how things ought to work, and you continually allow God to change you within then guess what? God's going to make sure that that happens. And he does that by giving you a new way of thinking. And then, he says, you will be able to discern what God wants. Guess what? I've talked about a couple of things being passive, things you allow yourself, allow things to be done to you or for you. Except for this. This one is active. This one is your responsibility then you will be able to discern what God wants. 
God will give you everything you need, but you have to be the one to put it into play. You have to be the one to use the new mind that he gives you. And then, if you do that, he says, here's the conditional part of that, that when you allow God to change you, and you don't allow the world to push you into its mold, and you actively choose what God wants, guess what's going to happen as a result of that? Then you'll agree that what he wants is, in fact, good. And it's satisfying. And it will bring you to maturity. The pattern of this world says, nuh-uh. The pattern of this world says, you need payback. You need to join the team of the Avengers. You need to be like Captain America. You need to be like the Hulk. You need to be like, pick your favorite character. I don't care. And the, the irony is that this logo is the Infinity War. And the, it's just that. When you start taking revenge, it's like an Infinity War. It never ends. Because revenge just keeps on going. That's why just a few verses later, in Romans 12, Paul would write this to those Christians who probably resent a government that was pushing them to do things that they didn't think they ought to have to do. Not that that might sound familiar to any of us today. But in verse 17 and 18, here's the eternal principles that apply across the ages to us. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Can I just remind you? Dumping a Dixie cup of cold water on your wife's face while she's sleeping is not how you live in peace. You may live in quiet after she leaves you, but you will not live in peace. Told you, you're going to need that as a reminder of the lesson. Now, that sounds good, Paul, but what about justice? It's just not fair that I let them get away with it. He goes on in the next verse, Romans 12, verse 19. The International Standard Version phrases it accurately this way. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will pay them back, declares the Lord. And he quotes Deuteronomy 32. Now, I want you to break it down with me, okay? So here's the first one. It's right to want justice, but it's wrong to take the bait of revenge. Why do we want revenge? Because we think that we, if we can get revenge, then that's going to remove the bitterness in our heart. And yes, you know that when somebody gets their comeuppance, that's probably a Greek term, right? 
when somebody gets their comeuppance and you're the one who gets to give it to them, initially, yes, we feel better. Let me tell you about a study that was done. It was way back ancient history, 2006, right? It was in a Swiss lab. They assembled a, a, a study group of people. They gave everybody in the group a certain amount of money and the opportunity to grow their wealth by investing it. But they also put in a plant in the group, a mole, a bad guy, a Bernie Madoff. And he stole everybody's money and lied to them and left them with nothing. They gave half of that group the ability to get their revenge on this guy. They got their money back, and they took his money from him. Sweet, right? He had it coming. Here's the thing, though. They, they monitored their brain activity and determined that immediately after that, the group that was able to get their revenge and their money back, and his money, registered in the part of the brain, happiness. Sweet. You better sit down, Ed, because you just proved that everything you're saying is wrong, including what Jesus said. Except for this, a few weeks later they came back, interviewed the two groups again, and the group that did not get their money back, the group that did not get revenge, had moved on and registered a very low level of bitterness and resentment. The surprising thing was, the group that did get their money back, and did get payback, and did take his money from him and punish him, and got their revenge, that group had still not moved on. They were still bitter, angry, and revengeful. They still wanted more revenge from him. Which brings me to this. The very thing that we think will help us heal is exactly what traps us and keeps us from moving forward. Resentment. You see, initially, revenge is rewarding. But eventually, that same revenge becomes a trap for us. What Jesus know about being trapped by the bait called revenge? <laughs> revenge doesn't remove the pain. Revenge actually magnifies it. It actually keeps the wound open. And the bitterness within grows because it doesn't heal whenever you choose to take the bait of payback. Everybody in this room's got their own stories. We've all got our own stories of abuse. We've all got our stories of abandonment. We've all got our stories of betrayal, and we all know the anger that comes with it. Something was taken you from you that can never be restored, repaired, or replaced.
It may be hard to fathom this, but God wants justice more than you do. And here's the second lesson from Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Getting revenge is God's job. And he's better at it than you are. You see, we're kind of like Jonah. You remember that story where God called Jonah? He says, there's some people that are really messed up. I need you to go preach to them. It's a place called Nineveh. And he's like, not Nineveh. And so he does exactly the opposite because his rationale is, God, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell them about you, and I'm going to tell them about forgiveness, and then you're going to lose your spine, and you're going to go all goosey, and you're just going to forgive them. And I don't want them to be forgiven, I want them to pay. That's Jonah. We wouldn't know anything about that, right? And yet, in Romans 12, verse 19, he says, Vengeance belongs to me I will pay them back declares the Lord you see God knows that we're not good on revenge but even more so because he knows how we're wired he knows revenge isn't good on us that's why responding to evil with more evil doesn't overcome the evil it only increases the amount of evil and that's why he says to those Christians who were being pressed down and squished by the government of their day, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know who said it, but it really makes a lot of sense. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, you should first dig two graves. One for them and one for you. Because your revenge will kill you. So what am I supposed to do with the natural desire to make things right? Well, here's the third lesson from Romans 12, verse 19. Don't take the bait. Wait for God to work. The Phillips version of Romans 12, 19 phrases it this way. Never take revenge into your own hands. Stand back and let God punish them. The, the, the Greek word literally means leave room, get back, clear the area, make way for God's wrath. Now some of you remember the good old days of big time wrestling. WWF, Hulk Hogan, The Sheik, you know, all kinds of, you know, Rowdy Roddy, the, yay, props to the 419, you know, or 614. And you know what it was like watching the tag team thing? One of the guys is getting a fire beat out of him, and he just can't do anything to stop it. He can't get away from it, right? And yet, in a tag team match, all he has to do is reach out and tag his partner's hand, and then he comes in, usually jumping from the top turnbuckle, and, you know, everything changes then, right? 
when we're getting pounded in the ring of revenge, God's standing there like some John Cena. Tag me in! Get out of the way! Tag me! Let me take care of it! The only problem is, especially as guys, we have a hard time tagging out, asking for help. But you ladies, yeah, you ever hear the phrase, hell hath no fury? Like, yeah, you can finish that one. And it's not even scripture. <laughs> Real, but not scripture. We have a hard time tagging out. We think it look, makes us look weak. We think it won't be done like we want it to be done. And here's the fourth lesson. When you take the bait of revenge, you leave God out. It's like we're just saying, no, no, I'm good. I got this, God. I know what needs to be done, and I am the man to do it. And yet, what's the passage say? In Romans 12, verse 19, never take revenge into your own hands. Get out of the way. Make room, stand back, clear the deck, and let God punish them. Well, I don't want to do it that way. Well, welcome to finally being honest, like the rest of us. That's why he says, for those of you who are willing to listen, here's what I would tell you. When somebody's wounded you and God calls us to walk by faith in Him instead of walking by sight and getting our own revenge, if you really want to find the healing and peace that comes from God, then maybe the insight from a guy named St. Ambrose can help. No one heals himself by wounding another. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't know whether Saint Ambrose, who St. Ambrose was. I don't know whether he was a saint or not, but I know this makes sense because I've lived that. How about you? And that's why it comes back to this. Don't take the bait. Release your right to revenge. Why? What's at stake? Your health. Your marriage, your friendship, your family, and maybe even your eternity if you continue to refuse to trust God because you think you can do it better than God. What story do you want told? Would you rather have the story told, yeah, that was a pretty rough patch in my life, but when I finally released my right for revenge that's when God renewed my joy do you want that story told for eternity do you want to tell your grandkids this yeah I remember how we always had to walk on eggshells around mom or dad and I remember how they were always angry but I'll never forget hearing them ask God Forgive me for the mean things that they said and the mean things 
that they did. What story do you want told about you? What story do you want to tell others who follow you? Paul concludes his encouragement to the Roman Christians with this passage in Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome with evil. Don't be conquered. Don't be defeated. Like you were by the Romans. But instead, overcome. You can win this. Defeat the enemy. You can do this. How? You overcome evil by doing good. So here's my challenge to you. And David, I want you in the praise team to make your way back up the stage. We'll wrap up with this. Here's where I push you because I've been pushed all week trying to get ready for this, and I don't like it. So you've got to not like it too, I guess. Here's my closing challenge for you, though. Number one, don't take the bait. Name them. Not out loud, but you know. You know the name of the person that you really want to get even with. You know the person that did you dirty, and you know how hard it's been for you to let it go. You got their face in your mind? Like I said, don't yell out their name. That's between you and God. Don't take the bait. Swallow your pride and tag out so that God can do what only God can do. Number three, call their name, swallow your pride, and redirect your desire for revenge into doing something that's what God wants for you. That's what people who love you need from you. Don't take the bait. Revenge is a trap. Instead, trust in a God who will judge the world with justice. That's the only way to sidestep Satan's trap that will cage your heart or destroy everything that means anything to you. God makes us this promise in Romans chapter 6. If we'll die to self, which includes my desire for revenge, if you will destroy your desire for revenge. And be buried in baptism. He promises to raise us from that watery grave that gives us a new life. A new life where we'll be set free from our past. We have elders that will be happy to meet with you privately. Here in this side room where it's marked prayer room, if you want to join them there during the singing of this next song, they'll be happy to pray with you. They'll be happy to talk to you more about the idea of being united with Christ, burying your past in the waters of baptism, that you might live a new life free from the trap of revenge. Let's stand together.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.